You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Hey, morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Well, it's great to be up here with you guys again. It's been a little while, uh, and uh, just really cool. Uh, it's just funny, just actually even um, being in the building, you kind of just look at different parts of the building, and you remember where... Uh, there was holes in the wall and broken windows and all kinds of crazy games. I remember one time we had this oxygen service, and this isn't my notes, but I just, it just, anyways, we had this oxygen service, and I said to Trevor, oh, we want to do this game. And, and then I come back later on Friday, and he's built this whole boxing rink. It was crazy. It was like it was legit. And, and then we had these massive inflatable boxing gloves, and we had a great night, and yeah, it was it was cool. Trevor was like the unofficial like oxygen game builder guy. Like he would just build these crazy things for us, which uh, health and safety was a bit looser back then. Uh, and uh, don't tell Yvonne. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a good time. And not only that, just remembering, you know, baptisms happening over here, remembering just lives change and Friday nights where the, the altar was full of young people, you know, just... Uh, Given their hearts to God, and so it's just it's so cool to be back here and uh, just uh, see see a whole bunch of familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces, which is great too. Um, but uh, if you haven't met me before, sorry, just who's this random guy talking about stories? Uh, um, my name's Adrian, and my wife Abby, we were uh, up here for six and a half years. We, we were youth pastors and uh, had uh, several different roles. Um, got saved in Elam. I've been on staff at Elam for, uh, I think like 11 years now, uh, started in Auckland, then up here for a long time, and then back down in Auckland, and um, most recently, uh, me and Ab are, are running our online campus, so last year when we, uh, we COVID happened and we, we went online, uh, we kind of helped uh, put that together, and then they were like, oh, you know how to do this stuff, uh, you can lead the online campus, so I was like, cool, great, awesome, love it, um, so we've got three kids, uh, two of them were born here in Whangarei, uh, Ezekiel, our oldest, is eight, Sienna is five, and then our youngest, Jed, was born uh, a month after we got back down to Auckland. Um, so he's three now. Uh, so some of you guys might not have met him. He's running around and cheeky as ever. Um, yeah, so it's, it's great. It's so good to be up here. And I, I get to continue our, our Culture Shift series. And I don't know if you guys have been loving the Culture Shift series. And uh, we really have. And we really feel like God's used it and spoken through it. Uh, and I, th- I think it's so important that we, uh, we, we as Christians, uh, you know, we set kingdom culture, uh, wherever we are. Um, you know, cu- culture is, is everywhere. There's, there's right, a culture that represents a, a nation. There's culture that repre- represents a city. Uh, there's culture that represents um, even a church. But today, I'm more specifically talking about culture that, that, that kind of is, is kind of worldly culture, global culture, the kind of dominant cultural narrative. And, and talking about that as opposed or almost in contrast to, to kingdom culture. Or church culture. Um, culture is kind of like a set of behaviors or beliefs or way of doing things that sometimes happens without even thinking about it, right? Um, but I think the truth is, is that we, we either set culture or we reflect culture, but we, we can't be culture neutral, right? We can't just sit on the fence. We either reflect it or we set it. And I really believe that God has called us to be people who set culture, Right? God has called us to be people who, who reflect His culture and set culture in every environment that we find ourselves in. And so the culture that I want to tackle today 
is by no means a new culture. Uh, I think if anything, it's a culture that's always been there. And the culture that I want to look at is the, the culture of me or the culture of I, the culture of focusing on oneself. Is that cool this morning? Can I pray? God, I thank you. I thank you that you are so good. I thank you that uh, we get to be here this morning. I thank you, God, for your word. And I pray that as, as we dive into your word, God, you'd speak to us, God. Would you, be help, would you help us to be people, God, who don't just reflect the culture of the word, but God, who set your culture in every environment we find ourselves. And I, I just pray, God, that through this word, you, God, would speak to us. You'd shift us and you'd move us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever made it about yourself, right? I've I made it about myself a few times. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there before. Probably none of you guys. You guys are all probably Christians. But anyways, uh, you, have you ever had a situation where you ask someone a question, but you're not really interested in their answer? You just want them to ask the same question back. You been there? Uh, or, or maybe you, you've seen that person, probably not you, but you've seen that person in the 12 items or less aisle, but they've got like 30 items, right? All the other lines are long, and so they've made it about themselves, and they've taken their 30, 40 items to the 12 items or less aisle. Uh, you probably don't have traffic issues here, but in Auckland, it's kind of a big thing. Um, and uh, You get some people, just certain people, who, who choose to, uh, you know, there's, li- there's lanes that say exit only. But there's people that decide to ride in the exit only lane all the way up till just before the exit and then cut back in. I know, horrible people. Uh, and, and, and we've all kind of at some point, you know, made it about ourselves. I don't know if you, you know, you've heard kids tell stories, you know, like, oh, my dad is really strong. Then the next kid's like, oh, my dad lifted a car the other day, you know. Or oh, my dad once lifted two elephants, you know, like it just, it just, because you're trying to make it about yourself. So I think, I think we've all kind of been there, right? We've all, at some point in, in, in time, uh, made it about ourselves. It's kind of almost human nature, right, to, to focus on yourself. In fact, I think the world that we live in glorifies self, right? It glorifies self-indulgence. It, it glorifies individual achievement. Uh, it glorifies being your own boss, you know, doing it yourself, uh, doing things your way, living your own truth. I think we've all heard that saying before, caring about your own appearance, your, your own self-interest. It, it's, it's focused on me, 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 I, I, I. But I, I don't believe that we're called to live that way. I, I don't believe that that's the way that we've been, des- been designed to live. I, I, I think the truth is that we weren't really designed to be the hero of our own story, right? We were designed as human beings to glorify God. Right to focus on him, to, to live according to his ways. Um, and, and there's a great story that I want to uh, pick up on in the book of Daniel. And um, it's, it's a great story that I think shows the contrast of living for self versus living for God. And I think sometimes when we can look at a, a story that's not us, uh, we can kind of almost separate ourselves from it. it Maybe sometimes like a pill is a bit easier to swallow, you know, when it's kind of distant from us. But maybe we'll look at this story and say, oh, actually, ooh, there's, there's a few things in there that kind of hurt. <laughs> there's a few things in there that maybe I can see about myself. And uh, we we cool to do that this morning? Before I jump in, though, in, in the book of Daniel, I want to give you a little bit of backstory because I think it kind of helps set the scene. Um, so we're going to look at uh, right, right in this point of time, in this point of history, the people of Israel, uh, they're living in, in exile. They've... Uh, the, the, the nation of Babylon has, has conquered them, 
And uh, they're trying to live for God in a, in a culture that's completely anti-God. And more specifically, anti-God of the Bible. And I, I think it's almost the world we find ourselves in today. We live in a, in a society that's very much anti-God. And, uh, and so uh, they, were, they had all their own gods. And in fact, more so, they kind of worshipped the king. In fact, the king, you know, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, he erected a gold statue of himself and he made everyone bow down to it. Um, but it's very much the, similar to the culture we find ourselves in today. And so we're going to look at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is, we find him in the book of Daniel, but he's actually a real historical person, a real historical figure. In fact, he was the longest reigning and most powerful monarch of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, with Babylon, the city of Babylon, being the, cap- the, the capital of the nation. Um, it's important also to know that while Babylon, it, it was a historical city, um, often we see Babylon used as a kind of illustration or a metaphor uh, for the kind of antithesis of, of God's kingdom. It's kind of contrasted and shown to be a, a counterfeit of God's eternal city. Um, and so Babylon sits in opposition to God's rule. Um, actually, one definition of the word Babylon is a city devoted to materialism and sensual pleasure. So this is the kind of contrast that we're dealing with today. And I want to jump in uh, to uh, chapter 4. And if you've got the Elon Christian Center app, you can pull that out and the notes will be in there. Uh, all the kind of more extended notes. But I'm kind of going to jump around um, and just kind of pull out the key bits here. And so this is where it starts. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm just going to call him Neb for short, okay? Because it's a hard word to pronounce. I'm just going to go with Neb just to keep it simple. I, Neb, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He was contented and prosperous in himself, in his own achievements. And then it said that he, ha- he has a dream that makes him very afraid. Uh, he was lying in bed. There was these images and visions that passed through his mind and it terrified him. And so what he does is he commands all his wise men, uh, all his magicians, enchanters, astrologers, all these people to come and interpret the dream for him. But none of them are able to do it. And so eventually he brings in Daniel. He'd kind of known about Daniel. He'd interpreted a dream before. Maybe he didn't like Daniel's interpretations and so kind of saved him for last, you know, saved the worst for last in this case. Uh, and so he brings him in. Uh, and uh, the dream that he has is he has this dream of, of this luscious tree. Right, this tree is fruitful, it's, it's massive, it, it's extended over uh, the whole kingdom of Babylon, it's, it's, it's fruitful. Um, and, but then what happens is this tree is cut down with only its stump remaining. Um, and so then Daniel comes and he, he brings the interpretation that, that he gets from God. And let's remember, it takes a lot of courage for, for Daniel to bring this interpretation. Uh, you know, you know, sometimes right now, you know, if someone from you, you know, maybe your employee brings you uh, an, uh, uh, some advice or something, uh, you know, there's kind of a certain way you deal with that. But back then, they were just, you know, the, the way they'll deal with it is just kind of cutting his head off, which is like not ideal, you know, right? So, so Daniel bringing this interpretation, he's like, he's in danger. You know, if the king doesn't like this, there's kind of a way that's, that, that he could deal with it. Uh, but this is what he says. He says, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Like, really encouraging. Like, so that tree that got cut down, just by the way, that's you. (laughs) Just so we get this clear. Um, And he goes on to say, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that he has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched. 
um, with the dew of heaven, and seven times will pass by, by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be that prosperity, that your prosperity will continue. This is not a really easy message to deliver, right? So Daniel brings this message that, that essentially the, the most powerful king in all the world at this point, the Babylonian Empire is, 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 is the most powerful empire, that this king, it says that he'll be driven mad. He'll be driven crazy to the point where he's out in the wild eating grass. Like this is crazy. Like how would this, how did this happen? How did a, a crazy, uh, how did a king that's so powerful be driven so crazy? And, you know, in fact, the, the word Babel, uh, where we get, you know, the tower, you might have heard the, the, the story in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, but the word Babel itself means confusion. It, it's a deranged way of thinking uh, that produces confusion. A confusion, sorry, that, that produces a deranged way of thinking. And, you know, when we, when we follow a, go, a way that is not God's way, it actually begins to produce confusion in our world. When we follow a way that's not God's way, it produces confusion, and that suddenly that confusion begins to lead to a deranged way of thinking, which kind of starts to bring chaos on the inside, and after that chaos on the inside, it actually begins to, to manifest or show itself on the outside as well. And I think when I look at the, the story of the king, thinking about the way that kind of things were back then, there probably would have been a bit of concern, a bit of stress, a bit of worry, a bit of maybe paranoia about trying to hold on to this kingdom that he's created, right? Because back then, it wasn't kind of like a voting process. It was kind of like a, you know, just chop the person down and then you take their throne. Um, so obviously, he probably would have been kind of keeping an eye over his shoulder all the time, worried about someone maybe trying to poison him or kill him. And, and how many know that trying to hang on to what you've built yourself maybe would have, would have resulted in a bit of deranged thinking. Maybe he would have started looking at people differently, and, and all of a sudden we see this deranged thinking um, take place. Here we go, continue in verse uh, 28. It says that the dream is fulfilled. It says all this happened to King Neb, and 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, this is what he says to himself. This kind of gives a glimpse of, of his thought process. He said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Wow. And then it says, even as these words were on my lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Neb. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Then it goes on to say, immediately what had been said about him was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and, and, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. What a sight. Mm. Yucky. Uh, and, and then, but, but here's where things shift. It says in, chapter th- in verse 34, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. There's a shift of focus. His focus shifts from himself to heaven, to God. And it says that his sanity or his clear thinking, his logic 
was restored. And then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What a powerful story, right? And what a radical shift from where he was to where he then is. And I think there's some key things that we can pull out from that. I think there's some key things for me looking at it that I think we can learn from it. And, and the first thing I think, and if you, got, if you take a note, you can write this down. He exalted God. The first thing he does is he exalted God. He recognizes that God is sovereign. He recognizes that his dominion is eternal. And he would have understood living back then that, that kind of kingdoms came and went, right? Kingdoms rose up and then kingdoms were conquered and they rose up. But what he recognizes is that God's kingdom is eternal. That God's kingdom never ends. That, that in comparison to, 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 to people, God is like, in, in comparison to God, all people are almost counted as nothing, right? There's no comparison between him and God. See, what you've got to understand is, is that if you, if you exalt something, at the same time, you're pulling something down. So while he was exalting himself, he was making, in his own eyes, God very small. But then the shift comes where he begins to exalt God and recognizes that actually he's very small. And this is a massive shift in perspective. This is a massive change where he loses his, self, his, his sense of self-importance and he recognizes the importance of God and the sovereignty of God. Remember, he said, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The shift comes when he, he shifts his focus from himself to God. Massive shift. He moved his focus and Here's a question you can ask yourself. Ask yourself this question. When things go wrong, where do I focus? When things go wrong, where do I focus? Because I think when things go wrong, our focus really determines or shows or reveals what our life is built on. Right? If things go wrong and we focus on God, it shows that that's where our focus is. But when things go wrong and we begin to focus on the problem or the issue or the people that are issue, the issue and we start to blame, it shows that, that our focus maybe is on those around us. Or maybe we start to focus on ourselves. Or if only I did this, if only I could do that, if only I worked harder. But actually our focus needs to be on God. When things go wrong, where do you focus? The second thing he does is he acknowledges God. You see, I think it's one thing to it's one thing to recognize who God is and understand who God is, but it's another thing to give him credit for what's happening. 
Let me explain it this way. You can believe that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, that God is almighty, and yet still believe that everything you have is done by your own hands. Are you with me? So it's one thing to believe that God is sovereign, but it's another thing to acknowledge that your blessings and the things that you have actually are from God. This is what he says. He says, the king says, He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Another, another verse uh, in James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if, as if it were not a gift? I love that. If everything that you have is from God, why boast and pretend like he hasn't given it to you? Why pretend like you've done it in your own? And so I think the massive change here comes when he acknowledges God. Here's a question you can ask yourself. Where do I need to acknowledge God's blessing in my life? Where do I need to acknowledge God's blessing in my life? He exalted God. He acknowledged God. And the third point I wrote down like this, I wrote down that he humbles himself. But actually, when you look at the scripture and the story, he never humbles himself. It takes God humbling him first. And it's an important observation that we make in this verse that he says, he says that those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And how many know it's way easier to humble ourselves than to have God humble us, right? I'd prefer to have it that the first option, uh, you know, in James 14, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, either we humble ourselves or eventually God humbles us. I've always believed that I am where I am because God has brought me there. Every door and every, every opportunity that I have, every place that I've stepped into is, is simply because God's opened the door. And in the same way, if he's opened the door, he can also close the door and give me the boot, you know, like he can. But, but I think life is way more simpler that way. I think it's way more simpler just simply allowing God to open the next door. Simply being content as, as hard as that is with where you are and allowing God to open the next door. Here's a question we can ask ourselves. Are there any areas of my life where I've become prideful? Are there any areas of my life where I've become prideful? You see, there might be just certain areas. There might be one area where we've allowed ourselves to become prideful, where we've convinced ourselves that it's about us. We've convinced ourselves that I have done that. I have accomplished this. And I'm going to invite the team to come up as I, as I begin to close. You know, what I find really interesting, you know, we, we see that he exalted God, he acknowledged God, and God humbles him, but... The interesting thing that I find is it says that it goes on to say that his kingdom was restored and that it became greater than before. It surprised me. It surprised me that God would allow his kingdom to become greater than before. You know, and I, th I think the truth is this. I think the truth is that God wants to build something great on each of our lives. But with, as with a building in the natural a building in the spiritual is only the size of that building is determined by the foundation, right? 
the size of that building, the size of what God is able to do on your life is determined by the foundation. Because the question is, as that building starts to go up, are we still exalting God? Are we still acknowledging God? Or are we starting to fool ourselves into thinking that we've done it? Do we start to take a bit of the credit? Do we start to make it about ourselves? Because I, I think here's the thing, that there's, there's two ways to, to climb the ladder of success, so to speak. The ladder of promotion. The first is to kind of claw your way to the top, step on everybody else, do what you need to do to win, to get ahead, cut corners. Or the other way is to simply trust God and allow Him to elevate you. Humble yourselves under His mighty hand and allow Him to lift you up. I think it's very easy for us to get sucked into that worldly culture that says, me, 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 I, I, I. Why? Because it kind of seems like it's easier. It kind of seems like it's the right way to go. We kind of look at people who are living that way and it kind of seems to be going all right for them. It seems to, to, to that, that, that doing it that way brings success, but... You know, the truth is that, that even though maybe it would look faster, it's not what lasts. At the end of the day, it's not really what counts. We can't be fooled into thinking that we can live in a way that's contrary to God's way, but still have Him bless us. That's good. Still have Him bless our lives, you know. Living a way that's contrary to God's way begins to produce confusion. And it produces a confusion that leads to a deranged way of thinking. But when we look to heaven, right, when we look to God, when we exalt Him, it's then that our, our sanity is restored. Come on, would we be people who choose to live God's way? Would we be people to choose that that don't make it about ourselves, but choose to exalt Him, choose to acknowledge Him, and choose to serve Him. And I'd love to pray for you in a few moments. And I'd love to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for all of us that we'd all, uh, because at the end of the day, we, at some point, we've all made it about ourselves. And I'd love to pray for you that we could be people who build our lives on God, that exalt Him, that honor Him. And then the second group of people, maybe you're here this morning and you've You've never given your life to God. You've, you, maybe someone invited you along. Maybe someone brought you along. Or maybe you've been in church for a while, but you're kind of not really sure. And you've never really made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to follow Him. You know, the truth is that all of us have messed up. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have fallen away. We've all gone our own way. But the truth is, is that Jesus came to earth in the form of man lived a perfect life, yet chose to give his life for us, died a, a sinner's death on a cross, so that why he, that he could be the sacrifice for our sins. That anybody who acknowledges him, anybody who invites him, anybody who surrenders their life to him, the Bible said, will be made new. The old is gone and the new has come. You get a fresh start, a, fresh start, a, a clean slate. You get to be in relationship with God here on earth and spend eternity with him in heaven. And and that step is only a conversation away. It's a conversation away with Jesus. And, and so I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if that's you this morning, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to start a conversation with Him, I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. And what I want you to do, I want to invite you to pray that prayer along with me. 
Say these words. Say, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you died for me. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And today I ask you to come into my life and to make me new. I choose to follow you. Would you be my Lord? And would you be my savior? In Jesus' name I pray. And while I still, I still close and heads are still bowed, I'll, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to acknowledge you. I'd love to pray, pray for you and pray God's blessing on you. But I want to know who I'm praying for. So I'm going to ask you to do uh, something really brave. I'm going to ask you to pop your hand up nice and high so I can see it. And once I see it, you can put it back down and I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, one, you pop your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Here we go. One, two, three. Hands going up nice things. Adrian, I prayed that prayer. I said yes to Jesus. Everybody's saying, I prayed that prayer this morning. Awesome. Let me pray for everyone. God, I thank you. Thank you for those, God, that prayed that prayer and maybe they put their hand up and maybe they didn't. God, I pray your blessing on them. God, I pray that you would come alive to them, God. I pray that you'd show yourself to them. I pray that as they open your word, the Bible, God, it would come alive to them. God, it would speak to them, God. You transform them, God, from the inside out. And I pray for each and every one of us here, God. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who build our lives on you. God, people who take care of our own foundation. God, people who exalt you, God, acknowledge you, God, and humble ourselves before you. You know, thank you, God, as we do that. God, as we seek you first. God, you would use us to make a difference, God, in your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and celebrate those that said yes to Jesus today? Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.